Happy New Year, my beloved Orangewood. I pray that y'all had a blessed Christmas season. Can you believe it? 2017 is here. And we're going to start the new year in the last book of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation uh, chapter 21. We'll be in Revelation 21 and 22. As we wrap up our series, our Advent series on dwelling, the God who loves us, the God who created us, the God who longs to dwell with us. And we're going to see kind of the, the consummation of the story. I'm going to tell you one thing beautiful about God. He has a happy ending. It's a glorious ending. And uh, we really uh, look forward to that day that is to come. Every new year, does it feel like a do-over to you? I mean, how do you feel this morning? Now, by the way, we tried to keep the music a little down for some of you this morning. So hopefully you appreciated that. But anyway, so as the new year begins, for many of us, it feels like a, it's a do-over. You remember the game we used to play as kids sometimes when things didn't go right and someone yelled, do-over? It was kind of a fresh start and you can start all over again. So this year, again, it feels a bit like a do-over, another try. But for many of us, for many of you, it probably feels like, oh, not just a do-over, it's a hero-to-zero mentality. Uh, I was with a couple attorneys uh, this last week, and they were lamenting that once January 1 rolls around, the meter goes back, the counter goes back to zero, right? I mean, everything that they had done and worked in that previous year is wiped away, and now, oh my goodness, uh, a new race, a new starting the year. How is it with you? Are you here this morning thinking, fresh start, do over? I mean, how many of you all have New Year's resolutions? Anybody here? Am I the only one? Uh, Steve and I are the only two. A couple of hands like, yeah, I got them. How many of you have broken your resolutions already? No, no, it's, it's, too, it's too early to do that. But either if you are like, wow, New Year's, fresh start, uh, do over. I hope and pray that feels like that for all of us. But if you're also, for some of us, it's going to be like, oh my goodness, another year, the burden of Hero to zero, we used to call it in sales, when everything was wiped clean and you had to start all over again. Well, it's interesting. There's two words for new, uh, two words for new in the Greek uh, Bible. And one of them is going to be new in time. It's like something's brand new in time. It's the first time here. And then kine is another Greek word, which is new in reality, a a new reality, a new order of things, kind of a, a fresh quality, a new condition. Well, this morning in this New Year's Day, we're going to be looking at the new heaven and new earth that's promised for us in the Bible. It's interesting. I I began today, uh, as I typically do on January 1st, reading through Scripture. Uh, Read this morning about the story uh, that reminds us of who God is. I mean, the four so important words that begin the Bible. In the beginning, God. And we realize that it's a story about Him. We realize that everything he created was for his glory and for his renown, that he loves us and created us in his image. But ultimately, if you want your life to be in proper order in 2017, if you want your life to go as God intended it to, he's got to be on the throne. I mean, he's got to be God. In, In that beginning, may we start here at Orangewood, in the beginning, God. May it be God centered in all we do. And it says, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And so how does the Bible end? God brings what? A new heaven, a new earth. It's a wonderful story. It's an incredible one unifying story that that God, again, is wrapping around and bringing a new heaven and new earth. But the new heaven and new earth is not like new in time. 
It is that kine word, which really is new in condition, a new order that God will one day, oh, I long for that day. One day he's going to wipe away every tear. One day he's going to do away with death forever. One day, all the things that are still broken in 2017, all the things that were wrong in 2016, all the things that are still causing us to, to stumble and fall will one day in that new heaven and new earth forever be wiped away. And it says that God will forever beautifully in harmony dwell with his people, God with us. We've been looking specifically at the Bible story, looking at this word dwell, that God created us to dwell with him. That's the story of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or if you're, if you're going to read through it this year, let me encourage you to do it. You're going to see a God that's revealed in there, a true, loving, living God who longs to dwell with his people. He longs to dwell with us so much that he created us, it says, in his image. He created everything just by speaking. That's a powerful God. He speaks by the power of his word. He creates the heavens and the earth. But he creates all things. But the one thing he created to to dwell with him uniquely was you and me, male and female. He created us in his image. And that's this is what that means. He created us to know and love God. And he created us to be known and loved by God. So you truly can't have life as God intended if you don't have a relationship with him. If you don't know him as he's revealed in scripture and know his, his, uh, his son, Jesus. Well, the story begins with God creating us and he begins with it. He walked with us in the cool of the evening, but it didn't take long. As a matter of fact, this morning I read Genesis one through three. It's the creation story. And then it gets to the fall and just took us three chapters of a Bible to mess up paradise. Three chapters for us to, to fall into rebellion and sin. And God himself drove us out of his presence. He drove us out of that garden, that paradise. Paradise was lost. But the beautiful story, the grace of God is that God himself will pursue us. And God himself will bring back paradise for us. We've been looking at this dwell which starts in a garden. He creates us for that. And then as God's people were even wandering in the wilderness, as they had left slavery in Egypt and they were heading to the promised land, this gracious God of ours says, you know, these are my people and I know that they're weak and I know that they're sinful, but you got to hear this. This is holy God saying, I don't abhor them. I know their condition and I love them. And then we learned in this, this tabernacle is that God's people were living in tents and heading to the promised land. And God says, I want to be in the same condition. Would you build me a tabernacle? Would you build me a tent so I could dwell with my people? That's God's longing. Once they get to that promised land, God says, well, you got a house in the promised land. I want one too. build a temple. I and mean, uniquely, I'm going to put my name there. And uniquely, my presence is going to be there. I want to be with my people. I want to temple with them. But that was really a name only. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God, the eternal one, God, the creating one, it says that God himself, he put on flesh, that God tabernacled with us. We just celebrated that with Christmas. Hit pause. Don't let that just roll over you without it transecting your heart. God, eternal God, puts on flesh 
And he personally tabernacles with us, loves us. Why? To deal with everything that separates us from a holy God. Throughout this dwelling story, we see that we have a problem, that we have sin and things that drive us from God's presence. And God himself is the one who deals with it. And he came in flesh to to become our sin and to give us his righteousness so that we can forever dwell with him. What an incredible God. We know that today, Emmanuel is still true. God is with us. God is for us. And on Christmas Eve, I reminded us that God has more for us. The thrill of hope. God has dealt with our sin. And anything that would separate us from him has been dealt with. That we have, because of his blood and righteousness, life in him. But it seems like in a Christian life, is this true of you? It seems like for most Christians' lives, we think about hope, and our hope usually points us backwards. It points us backwards looking to Jesus. Now, that's, that's a good thing to do. We need to continually be pointed backwards. This, this table is going to also help point us backwards. Backwards to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Because God himself tabernacled with us because of that reality, because of his righteous life, because of his atoning death, and because of his resurrection, we have hope. We're God's people. We're we're forgiven. We're free. We have hope today that God is with us. But one thing the church often misses is hope that pulls us forward. The Bible has both a hope looking back a hope for today. And today we're going to be looking at a hope that pulls us forward. We can't miss this. This is not the best life now. It's not. There is more to come. I pray that we all have an incredible, glorious 2017. But we got to look forward to a day that's coming. That when we can see Jesus face to face. One of my favorite bands, Fleetwood Mac. Bill Clinton, in his presidency, in his inauguration, actually, uh, took one of their great songs and, and nonstop played it. Does anybody know what it was? Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. You can kind of confuse me with Stevie Nicks, can't you? Uh, um, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. I mean, the, the reality of the Christian life is don't stop with hope thinking of tomorrow, because there's a hope coming. Let's make it personal. I know that you start 2017 with some angst. I know that there's some unfinished business that is still hanging over your head. I know that there's some pain and some sorrow. I mean, I've experienced it through your eyes and many of you, even over the holidays through some of us having cancer surgery and some of us losing loved ones and and some of us even even losing uh, our beloved pet. But we should reminded that, golly, life is painful. And God says, I'm going to deal with that pain. I promise you. I know it. I'm going to deal with it. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Because tomorrow, God says, in a new heavens and new earth is our ultimate home and our ultimate life. Let's look at uh, Revelation 21 through 8. And then we're going to look at 22 through 27. I know that was a long introduction But again, to get us back thinking about this new heaven, new earth reality, the new city that we're to long for. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's be mindful. This is God's story. It's true. It'll never lead us astray that God gave us his word, not just to entertain us, 
but he gave us this living word to transform us. So may the spirit of living God come and speak. May each one of us hear God speak to us and give us this thrill of hope this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, Revelation beginning in 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, lean into this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm going to skip to verse 22 and read the rest of the chapter. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. And Father God, what an incredible picture of what is to come. Thank you that you gave that picture to John at Patmos and that God, that you have preserved that picture for us. And God, would you come and would you meet with your people because two or more are gathered in your name. And God, would you give us uh, the ears to hear your voice? Would you give us the mind to understand your story and, and your word and what this means for us? God, would you give us hearts to embrace your love and and your truth? And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name as we walk and on along the way to find ourselves one day in that, that new city, that new Jerusalem, the new heaven and new earth? God, would you do that which only you can do? Would you be pleased to, to speak through a broken sinner like me? And 
God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things quickly fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to, to make us more like your son, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the, the conquering one? And God, would you bring his name glory and honor this morning? And would you give us the thrill of hope, we pray in Christ's name, amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And we're going to see three things. The first thing we're going to see here is this perfect city dwelling. That perfection isn't with us, although in Christ's sacrifice, he has forever made us perfect and he's making us holy. But we know that that perfection isn't here. We're not going to find it in 2017 unless he returns for, for us. But here's what we're going to see in this perfect dwelling, this beautiful picture we we see God's word giving us in Revelation 21. And the first thing is this, there's an absence of evil. There's an absence of chaos and the absence of darkness. Uh, All the things that are broken within and broken without, that God is going to fully deal with. It's interesting because when you get this picture, it says there'll be no more sea. And for some of us, we'll say, well, you can't have perfection without sea. I mean, you, you can't have perfection without uh, a beach or, or the beauty of, of a sea rolling in. And, and really, sea here is more dealing with the thought of chaos. In the book of Revelation, out of Revelation 13.1, the beast emerges from the sea. Everything that is sinful, everything that is dark, everything that is, that is broken, it kind of refers to that. And it kind of takes us and it puts us back to Genesis 1, in the separation of the waters, when God created the heavens and the earth, he was basically saying, I'm separating the darkness and chaos. And so when God says there'll be no more sea, what he's basically saying to us is all the things that are dark, all the things that are chaotic, all the things that are, that are broken, there will be an absence of evil. And God will say to his people, I'm going to remove everything that's going to keep us from dwelling together. I'm going to remove it for every, everything that threatens our salvation, everything that threatens our harmony. Our, our shalom is a real important word in the Bible. Our peace, our total peace with God, God is going to deal with completely. All the evil that still plagues us inward and outward, the brokenness of our world. And again, I mean, every day, even in New Year's celebration in Istanbul, we have some dear friends in Istanbul, a major ministry partner. I guess 39 lives taken last night. I mean, just a reminder again of an incredible broken world. A city is coming. A new heaven, a new earth is coming. It's coming for God's people. If you are one of God's children, it's coming for you. This is your reality. This is your future. This is what it looks like with God. And it's the absence of evil. The second thing is this. It's it's God's personally personal presence. I hope that your, your heart started beating faster as scripture was read. And it says this, behold, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is not so much of a physical location, like a specific city in Jerusalem in the mid East. This is, this is more personal that God personally will be with his people. The language used here in Revelation 21 is, is for those who love the Bible, love this language because it's such consistent 
covenant language where God will say to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he will say to us, I want to be your God and you will be my people. And here at the end of the story, he repeats that beautiful covenant language to us, that marriage language. It's such a, it's such a covenant that he calls us a bride. The bride is ready. There's a marriage supper for the lamb to come. Oh, how does God love his people? Oh, how is the righteousness of Christ make us beautiful? That God would call us his bride, his beloved, and he would long to dwell with us. The marriage of the lamb. And then we see even this, this the personal shepherding of God in this. He says, I'm going to wipe away all the tears. I'm going to do away with the sadness. I'm going to do away with death. I'm going to do away with mourning. I'm going to do away with everything that causes us to weep, that causes us to, our knees to buckle. God says this personally. I'm personally going to take my righteous nail pierced right hand and wipe away your tears. I sat recently with a friend who was lamenting loss and was lamenting and some, you know, just a loss, a struggle of life. He said, why? I just can't make sense out of the story of God. And this is our struggle sometimes because God reveals himself as completely sovereign. This is what it means. That God is reigning and ruling today over all things. That somehow we have to know that God is in control and our world seems to be spinning out of control. And we also know that God is loving. So how can all this work? How can we make sense of this equation? And I don't have all the answers, but what I know by what I know for sure, what scripture tells us clearly is God himself experienced our pain and brokenness. That on that cross, he tasted death. He tasted the salt of his tears. He knows our brokenness. And God himself says, one day I'm going to deal with it. I've dealt with sin once and for all on the cross. I've dealt with death with an empty tomb. And a day is coming when the record will be completely made right. Many of you long for that record to be made right today. Many of you are here and are bitter because the record hasn't been made right yet. And many of you start to wonder, God, there's one of two things. Are you really in control or are you really good? But we know that God is both those things, fully in control, fully good. And we know that he's holy and righteous and just. And he says, listen, this is a personal deal for me. I will wipe away your tears. He says he counts them in the bottle. So whatever pain and suffering you're going through today, no matter how far God might seem from you, he still is Emmanuel. And he's a God who cares. And he's a God who personally will shepherd us and wipe away all of our tears. One day, one day that that pain's gonna be gone. One day, death will be finalized. One day, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more prodigals, one day. Do you long for that day? You see, that's our hope. That's our hope that pulls us forward. The perfect city dwelling is coming. The second thing is this. Who's in there? The worthy city, the worthy city residents. Typical of God. There's two things we see. The first that we see thirsty conquerors, by the way. Thirsty. The first thing is this, thirsty. 
It says that God is going to provide living water. And what is the requirement? He says the requirement is this. It's to thirst. And it's without payment. So who does God dwell with? Who are the worthy recipients of God's eternal life? You ready for this? It's all by God's amazing grace. It's absolutely nothing that we've earned to be those residents. It's nothing that we've done that says I'm a citizen of heaven because I've tithed, because, because I've gone to church, because I've helped old ladies across the street. I mean, the, the worthy city residents are those who thirst for more. Those who know that they're broken. Those who know that they're needy. Those who know that their own righteousness are like filthy rags in holy God's sight. Know that we're not good enough. That our only hope is in the grace of God. Our only hope is in the work of Christ. And that's, that's that thirsting for, for him and that he would provide for us. What an incredible, gracious God we have. You think of that call through scripture. God keeps saying, those who are thirsty, come. Those who are coming, come without money, come, just come. Here's the point to you. Are you thirsty this morning? Are you thirsty? Are you longing? Has life just par- made you parched to be just long for more? It's a good thing. It's a good thing when you find that thirst to be quenched in Christ. The second thing is this, for those who are conquerors. Okay, how does it make you feel? I mean, reading this, I want to start squirming. You know, it's like, okay, thirsty, I got. Conquerors. Interesting thing is this, that in the book of Revelation, there's seven letters written to the seven churches. An important number of seven, meaning all the churches. And it kind of gives them a challenge, like to, to Ephesus, they've lost their first love. Uh, to Laodicea, it's they, they become lukewarm. But there's this promise that says, and to him who conquers, God will bless. God will bless with a new name. God will bless with heavenly manna. God will bless with access to the, to the tree of life. God has all these things, but it's to the conquerors. And I think, uh-oh, darn it. Am I a worthy city resident? As a matter of fact, if you saw that first section, it starts listing those who are not. It says those who are cowardly. The word cowardly really is referring to those who are unwilling to be persecuted for faith. But then the next one is this, those who are faithless. And then it says after faithless, it says those who are liars and sexual immoral and, and a bunch of things that I could relate to thinking, oh man, that list means more than me than conqueror. Are you a conqueror this morning? I mean, do you feel like you've, you've conquered? Well, here's the beautiful truth of scripture. In Revelation 17, 14, it tells us who the conqueror is. The conqueror is the lamb. The conqueror is the lamb of God. The lamb of God who has conquered for us. He has conquered by living a righteous life. He has conquered by dying an atoning death. He has conquered by overcoming death and, and breaking through in an empty tomb. Jesus is our conqueror. And so those who are worthy recipients are those who hide themselves by God's grace and faith in him. Our conquering is not by our own works. It's not by our own deeds. We conquer by the grace of God through the work of God in the face of Christ. So those who are worthy city residents, 
Those are those who know by God's grace, we have access to living water. And by God's grace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has triumphed for us. And we cry out to him. Those incredible in Christ Jesus. He says to those that have conquered, he says this, I'm going to give it a heritage. He gives us two things. I'm going to give a heritage and I'm going to call them sons. All that Jesus has earned as the only obedient son, all that Jesus deserves is the only begotten son. He shares with us and he shares with us. We have a heritage coming. We have a heritage coming. And he says that he calls us sons that even now in Christ Jesus, we could cry out to the father, the God of the universe, Abba, father. What great joy. That is the worthy city residence that we have. Let's just hit pause and say, that day's coming, but that inheritance is secure. I read in scripture, it says, it is done. This is done. Write this down. It's finished. This is non-negotiable. This is going to happen no matter what happens in your life. No matter if you're going to spin off uh, the road in 2017 or, or stick on the straight and narrow. The reality that Jesus doesn't lose any of his sheep, that he is a conqueror. And what's going to come for us is heritage and sonship. We have it now. We enjoy it now. We will enjoy it fully to come. And then lastly, endless city light. Thirdly, endless city light. It says there'll be no temple. It got kind of interesting in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, no temple. You would think that that would be there, a temple, but why? Because it's all the temple of God. There's not a needed one unique place where God dwells. God just dwells with his people. And it says there will be no need for lights. There's no need for the sun or the moon. Why? Because the Lord is our light in his glory. Just like it says there'll be no sea, there'll be no chaos. This doesn't mean that in the new heavens and new earth that there will be no sun. It just says the glory of God will be so amazingly bright The light of Christ will be so bright that they don't even need the sun. You don't even need the moon because the glory of God will be shining brightly on all of his creation and all of his loved ones. Have you ever been out in the moon when it's a full moon? You say, I I can just read right now. I don't even need light. I mean, it's just incredibly bright that you don't even need any other light to read. This is saying that the light of Christ will be so beautiful and glorious that there will be no need for light. Endless light, endless joy, Endless praise. Okay. So how should this affect our lives in 2017? What does this matter about today? Let me close this by reminding you a few things. The first thing is this, is that Jesus himself taught his disciples and taught us to pray that that day would come. He said, when you pray, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that that kingdom would come. Pray that that day would come. We're to live our lives in prayer for tomorrow, that the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the glory will come. And then there's this beautiful passage at this end of Second Peter, similar to this Revelation passage, where the people are wondering, how long will God wait? It's in that passage where he talks about, like, to the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. And they got to understand, the early church was like, okay, he promised to come back. Where the heck is he? How come it's taking so long? And it's in that passage that says, listen, God is not keeping a promise just to keep a promise back. He's being patient because he doesn't want any to perish. 
And I don't know when he's going to come back, but I know this. That last sheep will come home. That last sinner will bow his knee. That last conversion will take place. Until that day, he's not going to come back because he's not going to lose one. So he's not slow in keeping his promise like some think. He's patient. And then you have the second Peter 3. Let me read this to you. Verses 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people should you and I be? How should we live in light of the hope of tomorrow, the reality of today? And here's what he says. In lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, and get this, you can't miss this, waiting for and hastening, hastening, speeding the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which the righteousness dwells. I don't know if you caught that, but there is something profoundly mysterious about that. Is that somehow you and me can speed the day of the Lord here. Somehow, as we wait, We're to live, we're to pray, we're to live godly lives, holy lives. Not because we're saved by those things, but because we are saved. We are to be the aroma of Christ. We are to be the light of the world. As we evangelize the nations, as we live out our faith, as we honor God, somehow we put our foot on the gas pedal. Somehow we hasten the day. Somehow that day comes sooner and our obedience and love for the Father. May we hasten the day, Orangewood. May, we, may we that day give us hope. May we hasten the day by the way we live for him. Jesus gives us a meal to enjoy along this journey, the journey to the new heavens and new earth. It's a meal to sustain us along the way. A long journey, he wants to make sure that we've packed us more than a snack, a meal to, to give us sustenance, a meal that will remind us to look back and hope that a sacrifice was made for your sins that was sufficient for you. It really was sufficient for you. That give you hope that God is still with us today. But he says, do this until I return. Do this until that day and look forward. It's a meal that gives us hope looking forward to what is to come, to a marriage and to a supper, to where Jesus himself is at the head of the table. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this incredible story of the Bible that you desire to dwell with us from the garden to the new heaven and new earth. And even when we've sinned and God, when we rebelled, you personally came to pursue us. Jesus, you would put on flesh, you would tabernacle with us so that we could forever dwell with you, our triune God. Jesus, you have dealt with our sin by becoming our sin. You have dealt with anything that separates us from the love of the Father by bridging that gap and spreading out your arms on that Roman cross. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. There's no other way home except through you, Jesus. It's incredible to know that you have more for us. We have been given so much today. And I just love that passage that you personally will wipe away our tears. And you personally will forever dwell with us. Oh, how we long for that day. And in your wisdom, Jesus, you gave your disciples and us a meal to remember, to remember that you are a God, Emmanuel, a God with us, to remember a sacrifice 
that was sufficient for everyone in this room, for all of the sins of the world. Your sacrifice was enough. And we thank you that you've made that sacrifice for your own people. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and would feed us afresh. Help us to, to remember the reality and sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And God, that you would strengthen us for the journey home and give us hope that one day we'll see you face to face. God, would you bless our tithes and offerings to advance Christ's kingdom, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.